we are at a um, at a spot now um, in Scripture where am I working? It always happens to me. Um, we're not going to let it distract us. We're going to we're going to kind of focus in on where we want to be today. Um, our, our text is going to be in John chapter 19. Um, and what we're going to be talking about this morning, I just want to say this, um, and I know this is a bold claim. This is the most important event that has ever occurred in history. And I can boldly say that without any reservation, without any, you know, thinking through it, like this is the most pivotal moment in all of history, this event that we're looking at today. All of history up to this point, um, all of history that has happened since then, uh, it all centers around this, this one event right here, the execution of, the G, of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the, the crucifixion of Jesus on a Roman cross. Um, and what you, what you see there, uh, and I, what I hope we get today through this, this text, is that you're going to see the most weighty yet beautiful story that you've ever heard, and you're going to see the most heartbreaking but victorious story that you've ever heard. And it's through this, the, the moment of the cross here um, in history. So I, I have really just one aim uh, today in our, in our text today. Um, and what I want to do is I just want to really kind of create a space, create an environment um, where you will see Jesus as beautiful as he is. See the beauty of who he is and what he's done, especially through his work on the cross. So if you have your Bibles or if you have a, a way to follow along, um, if not, we're going to have them on the screen. But we're going to be in John chapter 19, and we're picking up uh, where we left off uh, in verse 16. Um, so look with me there in chapter 19, uh, John chapter 19, verse 16. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So what you saw last week was Jesus on trial, uh, that he had uh, these, 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 um, these moments with the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, the high priest. Uh, the, he had, um, he had uh, beef with the, Roman, uh, with the Roman authorities, with, uh, with, the, with the, the Roman rule of that day. Um, and, and what we see at the end of all of this uh, is that when Pilate um, finally asked him all the questions, everything that he could possibly do, Pilate was just reluctant the whole way uh, down, uh, but, but Pilate himself got kind of put on trial by Jesus. And so at the very end, he's, he knew what he had to do. And that's what we see in verse 16. He delivered him over to be crucified. So I'm going to read, read this whole text together. It's, gonna, it's a big chunk, but I just want you to follow along in the story. So they took Jesus... And he went out bearing his own cross to the, place called the, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with, with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, but the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews and said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. 
also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own house. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they, they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. I'm going to pray one more time if you would just join me. Um, Father, we, we thank you so much uh, for this story. Uh, God, would you humble and break our hearts over this story today, over this moment in time, this historical picture that we have of the purpose of Christ. God, let us not glance over this text. Let us not um, just receive it as more information today. But God, would you break our hearts and would you break our souls over what we see in this, in this moment in time. And we thank you for what you've done for us uh, in this moment. We ask these things. And the one who gave it all, your son Jesus, amen. So what we've seen in John all the way up to now, starting chapter 1, verse 1, has been the means to this end, to this moment. The moment the gospel opened, Everything that Jesus was doing, everything that he was saying was aimed at this event, this moment. Everything he said, everything he did was the the vehicle, so to speak, that carries us to this moment. The climax, oddly enough, the climax of the life of Jesus uh, would ironically be his death, right? That was the, the high point of his life was the moment that he was crucified. And it's not only true, it's just the Gospel of John. But the entire Word of God, all of God's story, every moment of the Old Testament was pointing us toward this moment. And everything that has taken place since this event is a reminder. It's what, it is a response, everything that's happened to, to what happened on the cross. And so when I say that this is the most important event in history, there is no way that I can over-exaggerate it. There's no possible way to over-exaggerate the reality 
of this moment that we're in today. And I would love nothing more than to sit here and to expound uh, with you this morning every detail of the moment, how physically brutal a Roman crucifixion is. But we don't have that kind of time. And, and, and to be honest with you, there's, a, a, there's something a little higher that we, we're going to reach for today, that we're going to aim for today as we look at this text. Um, because the reality is most of you, if not all of you, and I don't want to just make assumption, assumptions here. That's why I wanted to read the text. But most of you have probably read that text more than once. You've heard the story more than once. And you may have even heard a good, um, a good description of what was going on physically in this moment. And so that's why we're only going to capture a few things today. Uh, but we're going to go to another place um, out, of this, out of this story. And so my aim is going to be really just to kind of lift our eyes to that place today. Yes, I, it's, there was something physically um, important vital that was going on in this moment, but there's also something, and even more importantly, something spiritual going on in this moment, and that's where I want to take us on that, on that journey uh, today. I'm not underestimating what Jesus experienced physically at his crucifixion by any means. We'll touch on that and, and know that, um, that he was the only one that could accomplish what was accomplished here, but something happened on the cross that was far more horrific Something happened on the cross that was far more punishing than just Jesus' physical, uh, what he received physically. Something far more horrific than, than his punishment and his death. And something glorious happened that outweighs all the other works that Jesus has done up to this point. Something beautiful and something glorious is happening in this moment. There's this, there's this transaction that takes place while Jesus is hanging on the cross. There's this trade that's taken place. Just before he breathed his last, we read those words, it is finished. And that's where we're going today. That's what we're going to zero in on today. And I want to explain what this means. What, what does it mean when Jesus said, it is finished? What does it mean that we, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but just in that little part of Scripture that we just read, how many times did John say, this was to fulfill Scripture, that was to fulfill Scripture, they did this to fulfill Scripture, they said that, they did these things. I wanna, that's where I want us to go today. I want to explain what all of this means. Physically, physically, crucifixion was one of the worst methods of executing someone. And it was reserved for the worst of the worst. Not everyone was executed by way of crucifixion, but only those who just were the, the most despised, the, the, the ones who did the worst. And so that's who it was reserved for. And so historically, we have this picture of Jesus being lifted up high on a cross, right, uh, with, a, with a group of people just kind of circled around him, some Roman soldiers and his friends and maybe a few uh, uh, passerbys were just kind of looking uh, in that moment. But that's not quite accurate, and so I want to kind of maybe put a light on what is actually going on um, in this moment, what's, what's real. The execution would happen in a, in a very, very public place. So I want you to think like mall parking lot, a place where it's a high traffic area. And they did that on purpose. They, they, they put him in a place where, any, where the most traveled road or the most frequented place, the, a highly public place, is where they would do this. And it was thought of as more of a sport, right? The, the, the idea of crucifixion, it was, it was a game. How, like, how gruesome can we be? How much pain can we inflict? And how awesome would it be? So it was looked on 
as a sport. So you can imagine what kind of people this event would attract. Think about the people who would, who would show up to this and kind of linger and watch what's going on here. You had to be someone who enjoyed the slaughter of another person. You had to be a, someone who enjoyed looking on someone else being physically slaughtered. And that had to be, you had to have that in you. So you can just imagine the kind of people who would hang around and, and watch what's going on here. And he would, he would actually only be hoisted just a few inches off the ground. Our picture of Jesus on the cross has him high on this cross, but that's not what happened. Uh, on, on, on purpose, uh, the, the, the Roman soldiers would only suspend him just a few inches off the ground to where he was hanging, but his feet was, wasn't touching the ground. And they did that on purpose so that you can come eye to eye with him, that you can walk by him, that you can, put, you can come face to face with him. And that was the point on purpose uh, they did that. So if you were one who wished, you could walk by and you can spit on his face. You can strike him. You can slap him. You can antagonize him. And that was the point. We have the PG version of the crucifixion, don't we? Because the reality is Jesus was standing there and he was bare. He didn't have a stitch of clothes on him. Imagine the shame. Imagine the shame of being hoisted up on a cross with nothing on scourged and beaten and people mocking you and people hitting you and striking you and spitting in your face. The agony and the shame that someone would experience as they were crucified. But something else is going on here. Something else is going on here and this is what I want you to get today. And you've heard me say this before um, that, that prior to my, my faith being placed in Jesus when I was 23 years old, the gospel came alive in my heart. I saw Jesus as beautiful, and I said yes to Jesus. I want to follow you. Before that, I heard the story about the cross dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I heard the story. I read the story. Even not, someone not a believer in Jesus, I read the story. I knew the story. I was familiar with the story. And even sometime after I became a follower of Jesus, I heard this story over and over and over and would simply miss it. I would miss the reality of the whole story. I would just read it as, as just a story in a book. Like, I wasn't listening to what was going on here. I wasn't understanding everything that was happening here. That only thing that I heard was, Jesus died on a cross for you, for your sins, because he loves you. Jesus died on a cross for your sins, because he loves you. Jesus died on a cross for your sins, because he loves you. Jesus died on a cross for your sins, because he loves you. Like, and I just heard that, Right? Does that sound weird? Like if just someone blindsided you and come to you and said, Jesus died on the cross for your sins because he loves you. What does that sound like? I don't even know what that means. I, I can't apply that. I have no idea what that means. It's like Jesus ran into a burning building because he loves you. What does that even mean? What, what are you talking about? Jesus jumped into the ocean because he loves you. So what does that mean? And that's where we're going. So instead of breaking down each word, text, each, each one of the texts, we're not going to go walk through this like we normally do because the point of the passage, the whole point of this section of Scripture is to lift up this event and show that something significant happened when Jesus died on the cross. Something huge happened. Something major happened. A, a, a shift in, in all of history happened. And that's, what, that's why we have this story. 
And what I want you to see first is, and this is the most important thing, is that Jesus, He is our divine substitute on the cross. So when you look at the cross, when you think about the cross, when you read the story of the cross, the, the, the big thing that you need to get is that it was for you. You were the one to be hanging there. You were the one to be full of shame and full of agony. That place was for you, and Jesus was our substitute. He was our divine substitute. When He died on the cross, He died in our place for our sins. The one who knew no sin and didn't deserve this kind of punishment became sin for us and took on our punishment that we deserved. He did this. So Jesus didn't just run into a burning building and die, right? He didn't just, Jesus went into a burning building and died for your sins. But now I understand it, and I hope that by the time we're done here that you understand that Jesus ran into the burning building because you were inside the burning building, and He came for you. The reason Jesus jumped into the ocean for you is because you were there and you were drowning and you could not get your head above water. And so Jesus gave His life in your place to rescue you. And He fully embraced that reality that He was going to die in the process. He knew that ahead of time. That He was going and that His life would be over as a human going to the cross for you, for me. And so Jesus saw my hopeless situation. He saw your hopeless situation, and he knew that he was your only hope. He knew that, and so he willingly, freely stepped into the world and accomplished what you and I couldn't and satisfied what the Father required by hanging himself on a cross. And, I, and I, I, to be honest with you, I can't see it as someone dragging Jesus unwillingly to the cross and pinning him, pinning him there. Everyone around that cross was an instrument in the hand of God. He hung Himself there for you and for me. And the, all the agony. And I want you to think about this. And this needs to really become, you need to, you need to understand this, that all of the agony and all of the shame that He took on the cross was yours. It was your agony, and it was your shame. It was my agony, and it was my shame. And he took that on himself. This is why we say God loves you. This is why we say God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you and came and died for your sins. That's why. That's why, he, that's why we can say that. And this is the heart of the gospel, right? For there is no distinction. This is Romans 3. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in the room. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus was the propitiation. And I'm going to talk about that word for just a second. This means that God's wrath and justice for our sin, what, what we've rebelled against Him, um, was diverted away from us and poured on Jesus. I heard one person say this. It, the, the best way to define it is to say it was Jesus was the propitiation, meaning that Jesus was God's wrath quencher. It was He, he satisfied God's wrath. That's what, that's what that means. 
He experienced the justice and the anger and wrath of God as an atonement for our sins. This idea of atonement was seen throughout the Old Testament. Um, And this was an annual event. Uh, It was called the Day of Atonement. Uh, Today, we know it as Yom Kippur, and they still celebrate that. It's on the calendar annually. Um, It looks a little different today than it did uh, when it was prescribed in the Old Testament, but this event is still observed today. And on this day, what would happen is the high priest would come out that day, and the whole assembly of God's people would stand around the high priest, and on each side of him would be a goat. There would be a goat to his left, and there would be a goat to his right. And part of the Part of the the exercise of that day with one goat, the priest would come over and he would lay his hands on this one goat and he would confess publicly, verbally, out loud the sins of him, the sins of his family, and the sins of the assembly. Out loud. All of them. What if that happened to us today? What if I stood right here and started publicly confessing your sin? But that's what would happen. He would confess all the sins of the people. And when all of the sins of the people were confessed and, and, and transferred to this goat, he would take a sharp knife and he would cut the throat of this little young goat and let it bleed out right there. Imagine this picture. Think about this. That he's transferring sin to this animal. And this was meant to be a very vulnerable somber, sad moment. You're going to be sad if I stand up here and publicly confess your sin to everyone in the room. It's going to be a sad moment for all of us. And that's what it's meant to be. And when all of the sins were transferred to that goat, he would sacrifice the goat. Imagine the mess. Imagine how messy this is. I don't know if you've ever uh, had the opportunity to uh, take part in... um, um, cutting into an animal, so to speak. If you're a hunter, if you're someone like that, like you skin animals or whatever, it could become a mess, right? It could become a, a really big mess, and that's what it was. And, and the reality is, is you've got to think about this goat, right? What did this goat do? This dude was just kind of minding his own business, man. And he, he gets pulled into this whole deal, and everything, all, everything that everyone else around this goat did gets transferred to him, and then his throat gets cut. Think about that. Look, get the picture that God designed this event as a means to show us that this is what he was going to do to his son. This is what was going to happen. So this moment, this day of atonement was, was a, a, a foretelling of what God had already had planned. And it was meant to show you and me that our sins are so horrific, so evil, so wicked, that something has to die. That's the only way it's covered. And here, you just imagine this picture. God is saying, when you sin and when I sin, listen to me, church, when we sin, God says it's not okay. It is not okay. So we're not going to pretend that it's okay. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. And that's the picture we get in Scripture. That's what the mess is about because it's not okay. But he's also saying in this moment, at the same time, in the same breath, yes, sin is a big deal to me, but so are you. That I'm willing to go to these great lengths. Big deal. God loves you. And I can 
firmly say that to you today, that God loves you. See what He's done. Look at what He's done. And here's the deal. He sees your sin, and He still loves you. He sees where you are right now, and He still loves you. He sees that dark page in your past that you hope and pray and wish would never be publicized. He sees that, and He loves you. He sees it, and He loves you. Not only does He want to execute judgment over sin. That's what that is. He's executing judgment over sin. But through his justice, his aim is to liberate you and me, to free us, to give us freedom. So God gave us this picture with this little goat and that he planned to accomplish this thing on the cross, right? That's where this was going. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is God's picture of how much he loves us. But atonement, that word atonement, it doesn't just mean justice. Yes, we see justice as a means of atonement. But remember, there's another goat. You remember there was two goats. This one's dead. All the sins laid on this one and sacrificed. And so he would go through the exercise again. And he would put his hands on the other goat. And he would publicly and verbally confess all the sins of himself, his family, and those in the assembly. And instead of sacrificing this goat, he would turn the goat loose into the wilderness as a picture to separate us from our sins. See, that's what atonement is. Justice for what's been done. And then God graciously taking sin away from us as far as the east is from the west. So, our iniquities have been removed from us. So with all the sins of the people laid on this goat, it, it was the requirement. Um, you, you hear the word scapegoat. That was the scapegoat. That was the, that was the one who would take on all the punishment, all of the blame on himself, transferring it from us to this one. So the second goat did this something equally as glorious, right? God's justice has been served. It's been satisfied. And now he has liberated us. He's given us freedom from our sin. He's carried our sins away through this other means of atonement. And so here's the big idea. The sins of the people were being separated. They were being just, they were being, God's justice was being exercised. Their sin was being separated from them. And so I want you to look at me. I've got some good news for you today. I've got some of the greatest news that when Christ died on the cross, all of the stuff you've done, everything that you've done, all the shame in your past, all the sin and rebellion in your past, the sin that entangles you so easily entangles me and you right now as well as the sin that you're going to do tomorrow, that I'm going to do tomorrow, Christ has satisfied God's judgment for sin. For those of us who trust in Christ, God has satisfied His wrath on His Son Jesus at the cross. That's the picture that we have. They are no more. They've been separated from us. Man, so because of this, God doesn't see the shame. He, when he looks at you and looks at me, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, when he looks at you, he, you don't have to be full of shame. You don't have to be full of guilt. He doesn't see that. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's who he sees. Is that not the best news ever? Right? That's good news. It is for me anyway. And so the atonement of Jesus, here's the deal. Because of this atonement, it gets even better. 
It, it gets better. Through Jesus' work of satisfying God's wrath and ushering in liberty for those of us who couldn't do it on our own, those of us who trust in Him, we are now reconciled to God. That's even better news, right? Not only has sin been satisfied and that we're separated from it, we're not counted as guilty anymore, but now we get to be friends with God again. He gets to be our Father and we get to be His children. And this is the big why of Jesus accomplishment on the cross this you want to ask why did jesus have to do that he came to reconcile you back to god that's why he came jesus didn't willingly go to the cross so you could feel good about yourself he didn't go and suffer torture and death so your conscience can be cleared jesus came to fulfill everything it would take to bring us back to the father every single requirement bringing us back to the Father so that we can live in the full enjoyment that we were originally created for. That's why Jesus came. And the reality is, we've looked in every other dark corner in this world for that enjoyment. And it can only be found in Christ. It can only be found in what He's accomplished. That is it. And He knows this, right? Jesus knows this and and it's why he sent, or God knows this, and this is why he sent Jesus. He knows that the, the fullest enjoyment that a human could possibly experience is with me and my glory, surrounded by all of who I am. And so the only way that can happen is by sending my son to reconcile, to, to, to satisfy the chasm that, that, that is, exists between us. And so that's what he did. And after these two goats atoned for our sins, the high priest would take the, the blood of that slaughtered goat and he would go into the, to the holy place. He would go to the Ark of the Covenant behind the veil where only he was able to enter into that place once a year and he would sprinkle blood all over the Ark of the Covenant uh, as a means to allow him access to God. This was the holy place and he would splatter this blood everywhere because if he didn't, um, he would likely not gain access to God and he would be killed in the, in the process. And so I just want you to recall what the other gospel writers wrote. We don't get to see it here in John, but it's glorious and gracious to get from God that we have the other gospels to, to tell us this, this moment that at Jesus' death, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom opening up and ushering in freedom and liberty. Now we have access to God, and we don't have to have this high priest go in once a year to, to atone for our sins. Now we can freely and fully approach God on our own because of what Jesus has done, what He satisfied. So this was God's announcement, that the requirements have been met. Everything that you're walking through, the separation that you feel against you, the requirements have been met in Christ Jesus. You can come to Me now. You are now reconciled to Me. Freely come to me. Jesus did the most important thing that anyone has ever or will ever do for you. Ever. So this morning, we're offered life. We're offered righteousness and forgiveness. And most gloriously, we are offered reconciliation to God. That our friendship with God has been fixed. It has been mended in Christ Jesus. And I just want to, these aren't my ideas. I want to just show you in, in Scripture. I'm going to jump through a few places. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us 
peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John chapter 4, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son much more now that we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Can you get your mind around how much God loves you? Do you see the work that He's done to reconcile you to Himself? Do you see the sacrifice? Do you see everything He's anted up for you? He loves you. And the, and the cross, the story of the cross, when you get that, when you understand that, it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes the way we live. We can confess sin now. We can, our own sin, we can publicly confess now. God has already called us out. He's already put a light on it. He's already said you're guilty. Every one of you carries sin around, so you don't have to walk around acting like you don't have it. Confess it, because you can in Christ Jesus. The cross, it has exposed us, and so now we can go to the people we love and confess sin. We can go to God who loves us and confess sin. We can do that now because of the cross. We can, we can forgive now because of the cross. Not only do we, can we go to those and confess sin or, or go to God and publicly and privately confess sin, but we can forgive those. Not because we're awesome. Not because we don't count uh, rights and wrongs. Because we do. Every one of us, we do this. But because we've been forgiven by Jesus of everything. That's how we can forgive. And so you and I now have the capability. We now have the power to absorb the pain that other people inflict on us because we remember that there was this moment at the cross where Jesus suffered the ultimate affliction for us. Because of the cross, we can kill sin. That's why it's not okay. That's why we're not going to tatai it. We're not going to pander to it. We're not, it's not okay. Because of the cross, you can kill sin now. It's not because we're more powerful than sin, but because we've seen what it cost Jesus. So we have the power to kill sin, and we can love, listen to me, unconditionally. We can love now. We are free to love unconditionally. Those that shouldn't be loved, those that are hard to love, those are nearly impossible to love, we can love those. Those who've hurt us, we can love them, because when we've received this kind of love from Jesus, we can love others unconditionally. Imagine, imagine that Jesus, innocent, being afflicted by all of your shame and all of your agony, loves you regardless. Imagine that. 
There is, because of the cross, we can unashamedly, listen here, unashamedly go to God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can go to God. You don't need a professional holy man to get to God anymore. The man Jesus Christ has opened the door for you. And so I know some of your stories. I've talked to you. I've heard some of your stories. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of sin. And I realize that. If you, would tell me, if you told me there wasn't, I would call you a liar. Right? And here's the truth. If your hope is in Jesus, God has not one drop of wrath and anger left. Every single drop was poured out on Jesus. And so you're free and you're forgiven and you're loved and you're reconciled back to God. And so you don't have to walk around carrying the shame that Jesus has already killed for you. You don't have to walk around in agony that Jesus has already taken on himself. You don't have to do that anymore. He's taken that from you. The cross changes the way we even see God. The cross changes. It's di- Listen, it's difficult to embrace the reality that God loves the world when you read through the Bible, right? And you see that there's moments where he just did some things that just really didn't seem unloving, right? Like you see him go in and just slaughter a whole nation of people. That doesn't sound like a God who loves, right? And we can get into the, all the nuts and bolts of that. But here's the deal. You see these moments and you see the cross and then you understand God's character that here's the truth. God hates your sin. He hates it. It's not cool. He hates it. Your sin was so detestable that it cost His Son. That's how bad He hates it. Yet He absolutely loves you. That He would be willing to go to such great lengths to rescue and to reconcile you. This is how He validates how much He loves us. That He was willing to do this. And the cross changes the way we pursue justification. And I want you guys to listen to me. We're going to close it up here. Everyone in the room, in those moments where we find ourselves not trusting God for something, that we've sinned against one another, you feel the weightiness of that. You feel the weight And then you feel the need to justify yourself. I feel the need to justify myself when I've wronged or I've been wronged or whatever it is. And our immediate reaction is when when I've done something wrong, it's not to go to God. I don't see God that way. The way I see God a lot of times is let me go get some fig leaves and cover myself. I've been exposed. Like that's our attitude. We try to justify. But the cross the story, it changes all of that. Everything changes here. The way I see it, we just have a few options to justify sin. We can, we can take on a few ideas here. We can pretend that it's not a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a little thing. I can't even believe. We can do that. That's one way to justify it. We can completely disregard God at all so that we're uh, not accountable. That's what an atheist does. I don't want to acknowledge that there's anything higher because then I would be accountable to that, so I'm just going to play it off like nothing's there. That's a lie, but that's, that's a way to deal with it. You can become very religious and go to church 
You can read your Bible all day long. You can cross your fingers. You can do good works to try to shift the scales into your favor. Or you can just stop. Just stop trying to justify it. Put your weapons down. Don't try to cover it. Because the reality of the cross is that it's already been justified. Justice has been served for what you've done. Justice has been served for what I've done. So now we can freely be reconciled to God and we can be freely reconciled to one another because of what's happened on the cross. And so in our brokenness, in your brokenness and in my brokenness, you go to God knowing that He is the only one that can justify you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning uh, very grateful and very humble of the work on the cross. And God, we thank you for um, such a clear picture of what's going on in this moment in our text, in our story. And God, I thank you that you've given us your entire word so that we don't have to just take the story at face value. But that we can see and realize through all of your word that something deeper has happened at the cross. Something much more significant is going on. And it has to do with us. So Lord, I pray that uh, through our time today that, that all of us at some point or another have been able to hear from you. God, I pray for those who need to feel liberty. I, I pray that they've been set free today knowing that they don't have to pack shame and pack sin around anymore, but that it's been, it's been dealt with by Christ. That you've done it for us. You've, you've justified sin and you've set us free through the work of Christ. So our only move at this point is to love you, Jesus. To follow you and to put our faith in you, knowing that you got it. That there's nothing that we are in control of, that nothing that uh, we are guilty of any longer for those of us who put our faith in Christ. But for the one or the few in this room, Father, I'm praying right now that is entangled and bound by their sin and by their failures, I would pray two things, Father. Would you show them this right now? That you would reveal to them the seriousness of sin. How much you hate it, but how much you love them that you've made a way for them to be reconciled to you, that you've sent your Son in their place to satisfy the wrath and the justice that you require for sin, for those who would rebel against you. So would you show yourself big to those few who've, who've yet to have the faith to let it go and to follow Jesus?
And Father, I praise you for the day that you showed this reality to me. I thank you so much. That you cleared all the lies and all the things that I believed about Jesus. And how much I had to do with it. I thank you so much that you've shown me and you continue to show me that Jesus carries it. And so would you show that to others in this room today? Would you, would you show that to us as we love one another and as we love our community and as we go to the ends of the earth with this message that Christ came to die because He loves us. And everything that that means. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.